this is Sage Karam, and you need more front wings. Hello and welcome to another More Front Wing podcast. I'm Steph Walcraft, joined by my co-editor Paul Dalby, and we've also got our contributor John Lingle on this week, who uh, we've pulled away from a very busy time in, in his personal life when he's um, getting ready to move house and he has a, a family that's very busy, uh, but he's made some time to join us this evening and uh, very glad to have him as always. What was it that you said, John, about, about having all three of us on the podcast? Oh, well, I just uh, made a note on Twitter that uh, we've got a full field uh, here at More Front Wing. <laughs> Always good to have a full field here at More Front Wing. So we're it's a full field of thirty-three, right? Uh, yeah. We might want to check <laughs> your math there. <laughs> Awkward. <laughs> I was told there would be no math here. <laughs> well, yeah, that's what happens. You get engineers involved in things, so. Anyway, great show in uh, in store for you tonight. We've got a whole lot to talk about out of the um, Honda Indy Grand Prix of Alabama. See, I got it that time. Still running that problem from last week. <laughs> um, yeah, lots and lots of stories coming out of that. And, of course, going into the inaugural Grand Prix of Indianapolis. So uh, looking forward to that. We also had a chance to catch up with um, two times so far this season, Indy Lights race winner Zach Veach, who's really coming into his own over there at Andretti Autosport this season. And he had lots of great stuff to catch us up on as well. Looking forward to that. But before we get to the Mazda Road to Indy stuff, let's talk about Higpa. Because I'm not going to try to say all that again because I'm sure to <laughs> screw it up. I mean, obviously, one of the biggest stories is the win. Ryan hunter Ray, after having his massive flub at the um, Toyota Grand Prix of Long Beach and spent the whole two weeks between that and Higpa apologizing to everybody who would listen it, once he finally got around to deciding that it actually kind of was maybe his fault um, and came back and won this thing for the second year in a row. And that had to be uh, some pretty serious redemption for him, Paul. Yeah, I would think so. We we talked last week about how he's usually very good at this track, and he showed once again that he's very strong here. Anytime you have a uh, a mistake like he had at Long Beach, really you want to get right back in the car and get um, back in the saddle again. And you know he was strong at Long Beach and, and had the incident, and he, I'm sure he was he was chomping at the bit for two weeks to get back in it at uh, at, at Barber. And he showed once again, you know, how strong of a driver he really is on these natural street courses, or I'm sorry, on the natural road courses. Never put a wheel wrong all weekend long was was really the dominant car uh, the entire race. And um, you know, I, I'm sure for for him to to get away from Long Beach and kind of finally put that behind him, it, it had to feel so good for him to not only get the win, but get the win in that manner and under those circumstances. Absolutely. And interesting to point out that the, probably what could be attributed to being the main reason why Ryan was able to get that win was uh, Will Powers' flub early in the race. He, when he was absolutely just running away with it himself and then just had an off for no apparent reason. And that made me think about the way that he's been talking lately because, I mean, I think that... Will, when he gets on a roll, he has a tendency to really get on a roll. And um, early this this season, he was getting into one of those those um, 
situations like he's had in the past where you start to think that, oh, maybe he'll just be unstoppable. But then he had that off, and, and um, with the way that he's been talking lately about how he's not looking at championship points anymore, he just wants to race and win, I thought to myself, maybe he needs to think about championship points just a little bit more than that. <laughs> but, I mean, that seemed to be the only thing that, that – he was probably the only thing that was really standing in the way of Ryan hunter Ray getting that win. And, um, and he – put himself out of the way so funny how these things happen sometimes well will power is always at his best when he's driving at 110 percent, and that's what he did here he just uh Cliche. unfortunately maybe he went... there's no such you thing like as 110 percent. oh stop it <laughs> mr engineer <laughs> thought we weren't having math on this podcast is that what i heard Anyway, well, you know, it, it, he's at his best when he pushes right to the very limit and in this case he just pushed over that limit for one time and wasn't was never able to recover from that. Usually we see him able to recover from these mistakes, but this getting into a little bit broader discussion of the race itself, I never felt like the race really got into a flow from no. whether it was because of the rain or or cautions here and there. I just never felt like it got into that that rhythm of a of a typical race and maybe that's what kept Will from being able to really move back forward. Uh, because Ryan Hunter Ray was so strong through the last two thirds of the race that you know Will once he got behind just never really had an opportunity to to engage with him again after that mistake. Well, that being said, I also had it written in my notes to point out that who finished uh, third, who finished on the podium? Do you remember? No, Mont- you don't. Montoya. Did no. You- Oh. No, Montoya was like oh, second no, no, last. No, no. That's right. He was he was doing very well early on, and then that's uh, right. A little over aggressive as well. Uh, well John, uh, did you want to chime in? Uh, yeah, it was Scott Dixon. It was absolutely Scott Dixon, last year's champion. Funny how he just kind of slides under the radar, isn't it? He tends to do that. Yeah. Well, no, I mean that's that's a hallmark for Scott. I mean, it's just one of the things that helped him with the championship last year. Uh, you know, not a not very eventful race for him, but. Uh, you know, if if you can, if your uneventful races can still be podiums. It's a it's a good uh, good sign for the rest of the year, especially with the way the rest of that team's been running. Well, that's exactly the point that I was going to make. Is that uh, that is that is the hallmark of the champion, isn't it? The ability to put forward those those quiet but points paying finishes that that all add up toward the end of the year. Um, but then there is the other step on that podium, and that's Marco Andretti, who really had just a very strong, you know, not not sparkling, but strong enough race. And those are the kinds of finishes that people have been have been really wanting to see from from Marco. And uh, it was nice to see him get one of those. And you sort of start to get the sense that maybe he's on the cusp of something. Yeah, but and certainly going into before? the month of May. Yeah, I'm sure we have. But you know, going into the month of May. And there are so many people who consistently want to pick him for for that that biggest of all wins. So maybe that's an indication of something. Maybe your pick for this year is right, Paul. Soak it in while you Did can. I... I don't say that very often. No, you don't. <laughs> no, no, you really don't. <laughs> maybe we should just wrap up the podcast right there. We'll just <laughs> just going to leave it there. What is there else? We don't have anything else to talk about, so why waste our time? Well, the one thing that struck me about Marco's run was when he got out of the car. And they had the interview with him, and he mentioned that he didn't have a radio during the race. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we've talked on here 
at length and on Twitter and other places uh, that, that sometimes Marco's uh, temper in the car kind of seems to get the best of him. He kind of seems to psych himself out over events that happen early in a race. That's a really I almost good wonder if not having the radio was a good thing for him because there was nothing to do uh, but drive. You know, so if something, if a move that somebody made or if there was a problem, there wasn't really anywhere for him to, to vent that other than just to uh, to buckle down and drive because he didn't have radio contact. That is such a good point. I didn't think of it that way. The only way I looked at it was um, there is actually a rule in the rule book this year that says you're not allowed to be out to race without a radio. And so I was thinking, eh, I don't know that I would have hopped out of the car and announced that I didn't have one. But um, anyway, didn't get caught during the race. And what are they going to do now, right? So, <laughs> But no, that's a really good point about Marco that I hadn't thought about is that he does, he definitely does have a tendency to get into his own head. And when he, he has nobody to complain to, what else can he do? No, that's that's an excellent observation. I hadn't thought of it that way. And here's another one to talk about. This is interesting. Elio Castro Neves going into Justin Wilson's pit. And um, admittedly, you know, Elio's crew guys are wearing a different suit every week. And yes, the crew guys on the 19 car do happen to have suits that are in the same color scheme as the AAA color scheme that Elio was using this week. But... It was a, the other point that was made about it was a was an interesting one is that we all know um, those of us who follow Formula One that you know, Lewis Hamilton had the same issue after joining Mercedes where um, he he pitted in the wrong pit and kind of went oopsie and moved on, but he wasn't penalized by the sanctioning body for it. Whereas here, Elio was given not only a drive-through but a stop and go penalty for stopping in the wrong pit, and that just seems excessive. Now. Everybody was pitting at the same time, and it, the the wrong pit probably did hold Justin up somehow. I admit I didn't get a close look at what was happening at that time, um, and it, it's very possible that Justin lost a couple of seconds while it was all being sorted out, but I still thought that that was awfully stringent of a penalty for, for what's really an innocent violation, because I can't imagine that anybody would think that Elia would do something like that on purpose. Paul? I haven't even heard of a stop-and-go penalty in probably yeah. 10 years. True. I mean, it used to be the norm. You know, the, the stop-and-go was the tip, the the go-to penalty. And the, for whatever reason, they've gone away from it in the last, I don't know, 10 years. Maybe it's been longer. Maybe it was the, the, the penalty when they didn't have a pit road speed limit. But now that you're tooling through at 60 miles an hour, they consider that good enough. But, yeah, I was really surprised when they made him do a, a stop-and-go Maybe they figured because it they, it was wet that a lap was taking longer. Possibly, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, um, but I from from the video replays I was able to see, I don't think he held up Justin from from getting into his pit box. I think Justin was able to still get in uh, in his momentum where he didn't have to break and wait. Um, but yeah, I thought that was a little bit of a an iffy. Seemed call, a bit but, harsh, right? Yeah, 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 definitely a bit harsh. John. Well, I was going to say, it doesn't do much to dispel the notion either that, again, they just sometimes seem to be making this stuff up as they go along. <laughs> you know, we, we, we get something that's a seemingly minor violation and, and get a stop-and-go penalty, which we haven't seen in ages. So, you know, and then which would bring, I'm sure we'll talk about it later, the, the Bourdais incident yeah. versus the power incident. A lot of incidents is right. Yeah, why don't, why don't you segue right into that, John? Because I know that that's something that's, uh, that's been in your craw lately. The, the Bourdais um, against, was it against a lotion? Yeah, it was. It's against lotion. And, and, and I'll preface this by saying, I think 
that that should be a penalty. Uh, you know, a 12 to 6 contact on the track is, is, a, is a punt. You know, in, in club racing, that's a punt, and, you, and you'll get a penalty for it every time. But the thing is, you've got to call it every time. You can't try to, to govern intent because I just, it, it befuddles me how Will Power in the dry can make a 0% chance move against Simon Pagano, uh, who's running up in the top five at that time, punt him and his race, even admit after the race that, man, I really thought I was going to get a penalty. No penalty for that. And then Bourdais, downhill, turn five, double apex, where your leader has already ran off track all on his own uh, because it's hard to run that break zone in the wet, gets into the back of a lotion and spins him. And and that's a penalty. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, there's... It, you can't judge the intent there. And I, it just... I don't see in the wet that's a penalty if in the dry a week before a move that looked a lot worse to me uh is is not you know either either call it or don't was what i was arguing with some folks on twitter well say i think i honestly think uh it it should be every time if you punt somebody but it it brought back to the uh, graham rahal punting uh justin at the at the hairpin two weeks before and gets a penalty rightfully so again i will say i mean there was there was no excuse for that uh but then he gets spun, gets punted at the exact same corner a couple laps later under green flag conditions, and there's no penalty. So there just doesn't seem to be a lot of rhyme or reason to what is or isn't. And I think if you if we were to get truthful answers from the drivers right now, they'd even admit they don't really know when they do something. They really have no idea if they're going to get a penalty or not. Yeah, no, that is absolutely true. Um, we Last week on the podcast, we, we went over Bo's explanation for the two Graham Ray Hall incidents in the hairpin at Long Beach. And I think, Paul, didn't we conclude that we kind of thought it made sense? Because I think what Bo said basically was that Ray Hall moved over on a lotion and that's why he got spun, wasn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that was the conclusion that they came to. So um, so that was the reasoning for that. And, and that seemed okay. I guess I take sort of the opposite view of you, John, because I see your point about, about – you know, a 12 to 6 being a punt in most, in some series, every situations, and that's fine, and there definitely be, needs to be consistency, but ostensibly the consistency in IndyCar right now is supposed to be that you're not calling much, and I kind of took your point to be, you know, as you said, downhill in the rain, Bourdais, I, I didn't even think of it as a punt, I thought of it as as a misjudgment, and you can't judge intent, and you shouldn't judge intent, but I think if you're not going to judge intent, then you tend to, you know, putting aside that we're talking about race car drivers here for a moment, you tend to sway on the side of, of presuming innocence, right? Um, so my, I guess my view on it was that there shouldn't have been a call if their stance is going to be that they're going to be doing less calling of, of penalties overall. It, it made less sense to me to call that, as you said, than the non-call on power, but and so, but the consistency to me should not have been to call both penalties. It should have been to not call either one. That's the way I saw it. And I thought that's how it was going to go when when that move first happened in the race. I thought there's no way he's going to get a penalty for that, you know, because of the rain and the wet and everything else. Mm-hmm. I thought, okay, well that's where they're going. And I thought I had a, and then, you know, it comes back he gets a penalty, and I was just kind of shocked. Yeah, I agree with you absolutely. 
let's talk about some of the big movers in the race because there's some were, were some awfully big ones. Um, Tony Kanaan, I don't think that a lot of people would have said that he was having the um, the blistering start to the season in the number 10 car that some people may have expected, but certainly he was true to his usual form this weekend where he started the race 23rd at Barber and ended up 9th. And given the shortened race and the conditions, that's pretty uh, pretty intense a <laughs> race that he had there to make that, that kind of move. Very impressive. Does anybody want to take a guess at who the next biggest mover was? Actually, it's a tie. Ten positions each. Paul, who do you think it w- th- those guys would have been? Uh, Hawksworth? And? Oh, I was right. Um... I didn't tell you where you were right. I just said make a second guess. Oh. <laughs> uh, who else had good race? Um, Come on, don't make me sing the Jeopardy music. Uh, I don't know, Bourdais. John, who are you? Who are your two picks? The first name that popped to mind was was Montoya, just for the way he was running. But then I know with the spin that that wouldn't have been right. Uh, I'm drawing a blank too. I can't really think of any any huge moves that I that I recall. You want to take two stabs? Yeah, I'll say that it was Briscoe and uh, Ray Hall. John, you were wrong on both. Paul did actually get one of them right. Jack Hawksworth, yes, did go from 22nd to 12th, 10 positions in the one hour, 40 minute race for the rookie, highest finishing rookie. And the other one was Justin Wilson, who started 16th and ended up 6th. Wow. Yeah. Oh, that's right. I forgot he started that far back. He got up to the front pretty, fairly quickly. Uh, Yeah. Well, if there's anybody you want to have racing for you in the rain, I would think that Justin Wilson would be pretty high on the list. I'll take Justin in any conditions. <laughs> yeah, true enough, true enough. Yeah, I think another good indicator of that is the uh, the, the GP of Indy test today. Mm-hmm. He shows up at a track where everybody's basically at square one, and uh, and your equipment and setup they may not have the advantages that some of the other teams do normally. And That's know, putting it mildly. <laughs> yeah. So he, he can wheel it. The guy's impressive. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, before we move on to that, and we will, of course, talk about that Grand Prix of Indy test, let's talk about the um, the weather situation on the weekend, because that is something that seemed to have caused some confusion. And there were a lot of people that were saying, why do we have to shorten the race? Why do we have to end it under yellow? And, and just bringing up a whole raft of debates that, that don't need to be had again. It wasn't made clear enough, in my opinion, and I don't mean to slag on the NBC Sports Network guys because they really do do a great job, but um, it wasn't made clear enough, really, that they had a hard stop. They had absolutely no choice but to go to playoff NHL hockey at 7.30 p.m. Eastern. There was absolutely no way they could get around it. They're not like ESPN. They don't have somewhere else that they can dump to, and so... I said it in my first impressions column, and I'll say it again. I think that that IndyCar fans should feel pretty lucky that they were accommodated that well and that a race went off on Sunday at all. Um, So that was – IndyCar can't race or won't race. Um, You can debate that all you want, but um, doesn't race in uh, lightning and storm conditions. The tires can handle – rain but not large puddles of standing water they don't want people or people in the grandstands or teams in the pits when there's a threat of lightning 
And um, from what we heard from people on the ground, unfortunately, well, maybe fortunately, I was actually kind of glad that I didn't go down after the way that things ended up on Sunday. Um, but it turned out that we didn't have anybody there this weekend. But from what we heard from people on the ground, it was pretty torrential and not very pleasant to be in or around. So um, there wasn't a whole lot that they could do about getting the late start. And then when they did finally get underway, they needed to be done by 7.20 so that they could make sure that they were out by 7.30. So the last um, little bit, they didn't have the option to go to a red flag to clean things up because they were just plumb out of time. And that's the way it was. And you can debate whether a race should end under yellow all you want, but it wasn't going to end under green this Sunday no matter what anybody did. So... That is the way it is. You know, these are the lumps. IndyCar isn't exactly the the um, the top pinnacle of sport in all the world at the moment, and uh, and sometimes it you know needs to be accommodated the way it does. And I was pretty happy with the way that things were handled. I just wish that NBC was more clear on exactly why the option wasn't there to go later, because I think that it would have alleviated a lot of concerns. Does either of you have anything you want to talk on that before we? move on we're gonna let john have one one more rant on sunday's events before we move on i think they i think they did all they could how long i I don't know exactly how long they stayed with the broadcast over what their original uh window was but i think it was an hour yeah so i mean they did what they it wasn't even no it was because they had indie lights scheduled for 5.30 and that was to run an hour. So the right. 6.30 to 7.30 window that they had was some something that wasn't live. Right. So, I mean, they did what they could. It, it was made clear before the race that it was going to be a, a timed 100-minute race. Um, and I, I think if, if you know that when the green flag flies, then that's, that's all you can do. You know, I think a lot of people would have been upset if they would have gotten 50 laps into the race and they said, okay, the race ends in 20 minutes. That's a totally yeah. different story. But I think it was made very very clear before the green flag and the start of the race on Sunday that, look, throw out whatever we thought we were going to do with 85 laps or however long it was, we're racing 100 minutes. That's your rate, That's your new race distance. Mm-hmm. And, and, that, and that's... Uh, everyone was on the same playing field. And they knew that from the start. So, you know, it's unfortunate, but you know, it is what it is. They even knew, I think, well enough in advance because um, IndyCar was pretty clear on what their start time was going to be for a good hour. And so teams had time to sit back and rework their strategy and, and like it, it was handled as well as it could have been in the, in the circumstances. I thought. I agree. All right. So here's the rant we're going to give John, um, because I know that, that he's, he's spoken on this a couple of times. I've already, I got my position on it and and I'm pretty blase on it, but I know that John wants to talk about uh, the DW 12 lack of onboard starter. So I'll let you go for a couple minutes, John. Yeah. And I really don't know what else I can say at this point, but I'm obviously, uh, the preaching to deaf ears because I, I just do not understand for the life of me why we cannot have onboard starters on these cars. And I don't care that it's extra weight, and I don't care that they weren't designed for it prior. Delara has shown an ability to change that car when need be. Uh, the side pod structures, the new headrests, uh, you know, there's there's various instances of things that they've changed on this car to make accommodations. But there was at least three of those cautions this week, just this week, and I, I'm not even going to try to go back all the weeks prior uh, for all the, the goofy full-course yellows that we have to go to because somebody spins, and it's not even bad enough. They don't even they don't even need a new front wing or anything, but they just 
stall it because that hand clutch is hard for the guys to to work. It's real counterintuitive, and uh, you know it's obviously hard to uh, to get pushed in when need be because they stall these things so much. And I'd, in a spec series where everybody is the same weight, and you can add whatever you want and, and spec that out, I, I just cannot understand why this far down the road from the launch of that car, we don't have onboard starters yet. I don't think it was ever designed from the beginning to have onboard starters, was it? Did they ever promise at any point in the development of the car that it would have onboard starters? I, I admit I'm con- I'm drawing a complete blank on this. Oh, I don't recall on that whether it was or wasn't, but to me it's something that's, that's shown to be a to be an issue that could be fixed. You know, I, I don't know what the, the stubborn reluctance to, to add an onboard starter is to the car. Uh, you know, like I said, that's, that's my whole point. If it wasn't a spec series, I could understand. But, I mean, it is a spec series. So that whatever we add to that car, everybody's going to have to add. It's going to be the same weight for everybody, the same location, the same issues. Uh, is it possible that it's a quirk in the different starting systems on the two engines? That they can't get one system that would work well for both of them? I guess that's a possibility. If it was, I wish they'd come out and say so. Yeah. That well, yeah. You're, look at who we're talking about. <laughs> and that's all, that's really all I've been looking for is just a good... I've gotten excuses, but I haven't heard a good one yet. Uh, <laughs> I've heard about the weight, and I've heard about it not being designed for it. Well, spec series, and, and again, Delara has repeatedly uh, made changes to the revisions to the car when there was a need for it. And, uh, you know, I think IndyCar, we seem to kind of take pride in, in being a true racing series, which I really like. And and I'd love to see some of these uh, full-course cautions for a spin go away, where a guy's not even in the gravel trap, and he's just there by the side of the road, and he's just sitting there spinning his hand above his head, you know, waiting for the uh, safety crew to come give him a start. I agree with you 100%. Not 110, 100. And I I appreciate deeply your passion because I think I've been, I just, I'm jaded now because I think to myself, if IndyCar has said for whatever their reasons are, the car is not designed for it, well, I'm not going to beat my head against the brick wall of talking about it anymore because it is what it is. And uh, they're not, there's there's no bleeding from, from us on this side that's going to change their minds. I, I would love to see it, and I think you're right. It's It doesn't make a lot of sense, but they don't want to tell us what the problem is for whatever reason, and there's no amount of convincing that's going to happen on this end that's going to, that's going to change that. So I think we just have to wait for the next generation to come around and see what happens. Paul, you have more experience with this than I do. Is she calling me stubborn right now? <laughs> Oh no, if she was calling you stubborn, she'd come out and say it. So. That, that's the truth. <laughs> so, let's um, cover all three levels of the Mazda Road to Indy quickly. The um, the new doubleheader format for the Indy Light Series got the first rollout this week on the Natural Train Road Course at Barber. And we had an interesting result in that uh, Zagvich and Gabby Chavez split the, the weekend. One of the um, Z- 
Zach took the sprint race and Gabby took the Sunday, the longer race on Sunday. And so each of them has two wins now early in the season. I had a chance to catch up with Zach Feach of Andretti Autosport and ask him about how his season is going, getting that monkey off his back with that, um, that win at St. Pete and uh, getting that all together after going a full season without a win last year and how that feels for him how his relationship is with Gabby Chavez. Turns out they're quite good friends and what that uh, relationship is going to be like as they continue to battle for the title throughout the season. Um, how surprised he is that Matthew Brabham is not more in the mix after moving up to Indy Lights and um, his thoughts on the reasons behind that and um, his thoughts on the, the double header format for the road course, which might not be what you would expect from a, from a guy that is looking for as much seat time as, uh, as racers at this level tend to be. So let's give a listen right now to Zach Veach of Andretti Autosport and Indy Lights. Zach, great to have you back on the show. Thank you very much for joining us and a very exciting start to your year. Um, you've had two race wins in the four, or um, is it four? Yeah, four races, uh, including yep. the two sprints at Barber. So uh, just talk us through sort of the highlights of your season so, so far. Yeah, I mean, so far, uh, 2014 is really off to be, uh, you know, one of the best years I've had yet. Um, you know, we really took everything that we learned from uh, last year, the mistakes that we made, and just put everything into focus to make sure we had the best year that we could. And I think we're starting it off on the right foot with a win at Bar or a win at St. Pete, second place at Long Beach, and a win in third place at Barber just this past weekend. Fantastic. And it must feel really good uh, to get to have gotten that monkey off your back at St. Pete uh, after going last season with, uh, with no wins and sort of silenced the doubters a little bit. Yeah, exactly. You know, I think, uh, we still have a lot of more people to convince this season, but uh, it was definitely nice to get that first win. And, you know, it really makes things a lot easier, too, because, you know, once you do it once, you know you can do it again. And, you know, that's what the team and I are focused on most. Absolutely. So it looks as though, even with the great results that you've had so far, you're going to have quite the uh, the championship rival at Gavi Chavez, who's um, keeping pace with you and uh, is pretty close to you in the points, second place uh, going into the Grand Prix of Indianapolis weekend. Uh, he's with a new team, Bellardi. Can you talk about what you're expecting in that uh, title battle as the year goes on? Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm actually really excited about it. You know, I think usually you want a, a season that you can just run off and dominate in, but you know, Gabby, you know, he's a really good friend of mine. He's a nice guy. And, you know, for him to be, you know, battling, you know, with me for wins every weekend, I think it's going to make both of us better in the long run. And it makes it exciting for people to watch. I mean, I think, um, you know, after Long Beach, I only had one point lead in the championship. And, you know, coming off of last weekend, it's up to nine now. So I hope to just keep extending that a little bit as I can. But, you know, I think it's going to be a constant fight until the very end this year. Going into this season with your new teammate, Matt Bradham, having moved up from Pro Malta, I think some people were expecting him to be in the mix, maybe even, don't take this the wrong way, but maybe even a little bit more than they were paying attention to you, given the strong season that he had last year. Are you a bit surprised not to see him um, up front with everybody else? I mean, I know he's had some bad luck, but is, is that surprising to you? Yeah, well, I mean... Yes and no. I mean, because some of it is, you know, the Indy Bikes car is, you know, a very tough car to drive. So I think that's one advantage that Gabby Chavez and I have coming back for a second season. But, you know, I think uh, Matt, you know, he, he is an incredible driver and he's a great teammate to have. And we're really pushing each other forward at the end of the day. But, 
you know, I, I think uh, the, the light field's just a little more stacked up this season because, you know, I think at Long Beach, the top four are separated within a tenth of a second. So, you know, he's just have to work on the details a little bit more and really figure out how to get, you know, the last couple hundredths out of the car when it really matters. So, you know, I think uh, he just had a little bad luck at the start of this year, but, you know, halfway through to the end, he's definitely going to be uh, challenging Gabby and I for wins. Sure. How's the chemistry in the lights uh, operation for, for Andretti right now with, uh, with Matt having joined up, and how are you feeling with uh, with your engineers? Uh, I'd say it's the best uh, chemistry on the team that I've ever been in. I mean, from USF 2000 to Mazda, I mean, this season, my team and I, we've just felt like we've really gelled together. Uh, my engineer, this is my second season with him. Uh, he was actually New Garden's engineer, and he won his championship in 2011, and uh, the mechanic on my car this year is actually from Schmidt, and he was New Garden's mechanic when he won the championship. So I think we really built a strong team around me, and then having Matt come along, you know, he, he's a hilarious guy. He really lightens the mood and uh, helps us be a little less serious than we need to, and, you know, he's just as focused as we are at the end of the day. So it, it's, you know, for me, it's the most perfect combination I've been in from, you know, having the crew around me, having a teammate like Matt, and, I think uh, we're going to do some pretty cool things this year together. Awesome. I understand that you're at IMS today observing the uh, the IndyCar test on the new road course. Do you like what you're seeing? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think uh, the track is definitely a little different than uh, it was when I set the track record here a couple of years ago in the lights car. So it's going to be a little bit of a more of a learning curve. But I think uh, Andretti, we're doing well there, and uh, the engineers are actually – kind of helping the lights guys out. Matt and I are talking to, you know, the big car drivers, and I think they're going to give us a little bit of an advantage uh, going into, you know, practice next week. So we're very excited. Cool. Uh, and speaking of that, you've now had that one doubleheader, as we mentioned earlier, at Barber Motorsports Park. You're going to have another one at Indianapolis. You've done doubleheaders before, obviously, in, in the more junior formulas, but do you think that it's a format that's working for Indy Lights? Does it add to the show? Well, I think from a fan perspective, uh, you know, it's more for them to see. So, of course, it's going to be, you know, a benefit because, you know, it's exciting. You get twice the action. But, you know, from a driver's standpoint, I've always kind of been a fan of, uh, you know, the single header events because, you know, you you have more time to develop the car and more time to focus onto it. So, with the double headers, you know, you're really on your toes because, you know, everything's developing so quickly and you got to make sure that, you have a really good first race, so you're not, you know, taken out of being able to run in the second one. So, now I think uh, from a driver standpoint, it's much more difficult with the doubleheader season, and I think at the end of the day, it's going to make us all better as well. Great. We found out just a couple of days ago that Sage Karam has uh, signed a driver development deal with Chip Ganassi Racing and has got a deal set up to run the 500 in a partnership with Dreyer and Reinbold. Can you talk about having been um, a co-competitor of his in Indy Lights last year and having worked your way through um, almost this full road to Indy now, how that feels seeing him make something of that when there was so much concern that there wouldn't be anything for him at the end of last year? No, definitely. I mean, I think uh, with what Sage is doing, you know, Carlos and uh, Hawksworth in the IndyCar series, mm-hmm. it's very promising, you know, for us in Indy Lights to, you know, push that a little bit harder. To, you know, if you, you prove yourself here, you can run up into the big cars. And as Carlos is showing, you can be competitive as well. So, 
you know, it's very nice to know that, you know, I raced with those guys last year and I'm, I'm excited to see how Faith does. He's, you know, we were teammates when we brought into, you know, this whole Monster Road Indy series together when we were just 15. And, you know, we've remained really good friends since then. I think, uh, you know, he's living in Indy now. I just moved here. So we've been mountain biking a couple of times together. And, you know, I, I'm very happy for him and I'm, I'm excited to see him do well. So, you know, it's, it's just one of those things. It's like when we joined, we were the youngest, like the youngsters, you know, we were the youngest guys coming in and now we're looking at each other like, man, we're, we're starting to get old. we got to move up there. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, we heard over the Barber Weekend that it sounds like the new Indy Lights chassis is going to be revealed over the Indianapolis 500 Weekend. Dan Anderson said it might even be on Carb Day, the same day as the, the Freedom 100. Can you talk about what you're hoping to see out of that car, having spent a couple of years in the current Lights chassis, which is, I think, pushing 12 years old now? What do you think the new car needs to achieve? Yeah, well, um, you know, hopefully... Uh, you know, I, I'll be able to say I'm driving a little bit of a faster car next <laughs> season. But, um, no, I think, you know, the Indy Lights car that we have now is, of course, you know, a great learning platform. You know, some of the Indy car drivers have even said that it's a little harder to drive and muscle around than, you know, the new Indy cars that we have just because, you know, it is so old. We don't have any, you know, the modern kind of electronics on it that the big cars do. You know, I'm really excited because I think, you know, they're going about it the right way. I've heard something that your seat in the new Indy Lights car can be transitioned into a full-blown Indy car without any modifications to it. So that's nice. It's going to have paddle shifts, push to pass, and, you know, everything that you need to, like, figure out how to do in a slower car before you jump up into the big one. So, you know, from a driver's perspective, I I feel like I'm a couple years too early, but... (laughs) You know, I think it's really going to prepare a lot of the guys, you know, more better than, you know, what we have now because, you know, there's still a big learning curve. There's a lot of things that the new IndyCar has, but, you know, the series that we're driving in that just doesn't. Great. That's some really good insight. Really, thank you a lot for your time. Always great to chat and uh, best of luck throughout the Grand Prix of Indianapolis weekend and those uh, those two races that will be run that weekend and through the rest of the year. Yeah, thank you so much. That really means a lot. I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. Great to speak with Zach Veach, as always, and uh, really interesting thoughts. Not really necessarily the answers that we would expect on all those questions, but uh, certainly very good of him to be uh, very honest and, and candid in his responses and should be good for generating some, some good discussion going forward. Let's move on to Pro Mazda. There's just not a heck of a lot to talk about here because Spencer Pickett keeps winning everything. <laughs> He's four for four on the season so far, and um, it's going to be hard for him to escape the the um, analysis of wanting to compare his season with Matthew Brabham's season last year right up until it starts to fall out from under him. And I feel bad for him because if slash when it does, it's going to be like he has this pedestal that he's being dropped down from that was almost impossible for him to lift himself up to to begin with because even Matthew Robin will say he doesn't know how he had that incredible season that he had last year and and he'll never have a season like that again in his life and so it's it's crazy to think that if Spencer goes and you know doesn't win four races out of however many it is this year that the it will seem to be not as good as what came before him. But anyway, he seems to be running away with the thing. Um, I just 
I'm going to very quickly mention without saying too much. I received a blog from uh, Shelby Blackstock, our Andretti Autosport Pro Mazda blogger today. And um, he had some very interesting thoughts on why he thinks it is that Spencer Piggott is, uh, is having these strong performances that he is so far this season. So if you're interested in what's going on in Pro Mazda, I highly recommend that you check that out when it gets released. We're aiming for a Friday release, which will be tomorrow if you're listening to this podcast on its release so do keep an eye out for that and speaking of dominance usf 2000 rc enerson is also taking a a runaway in that series so far and um that had both of the races on saturday at barber with him ending up on the top step of the podium a little bit of a story that we're following in that series, um, not making too much of it yet, but it certainly is interesting. Out of the four races that they've run so far this year, in two of them, they've had two of their drivers um, disqualified at the after the end of the race for failing tech. So um, nothing to get too up in arms about yet, but certainly a story worth keeping an eye on as the season carries on, especially since one of those drivers, Victor Frenzoni, is definitely one of the guys that you would consider to be in the title hunt um, this year and maybe one of the few guys that's actually looking able to give R.C. Anderson a run for his money. That is a driver that we're going to have to catch up with at some point because he certainly is um, showing his strength in this early going. With all that, I think we're ready to put a bow on Barber. I've talked enough. Let's talk about the testing today of the uh, the new road course track at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway in preparation for the inaugural Grand Prix of Indianapolis. Uh, the usual suspects were there in addition to adding Martin Plowman with EJ Foyt Racing and uh, Frank Montagny. That's my best um, English-French accent from uh, from English Canada there um, to Andretti Autosport. A lot of people wondering where that name came from. Last time I heard it, I think, didn't he do a race for Andretti at Sonoma in, I want to say, 2011? It's been Something a while. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. It, and it was only the one, I think. I guess the, the logic behind that is, well, we've got the 26 car out at IMS anyway. We might as well run it at the road course. I don't know. It, it was a surprising out of left field. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. I, I can think of several other more recently used drivers that that um, that Andretti could have tapped, but there uh, there must be a relationship there that goes back a little further. But uh, yeah, <laughs> relationship surprised. with his bank account, maybe. <laughs> there is that. I didn't want to necessarily uh, point fingers. Or well, there's no sense in beating around the bush. Come on. <laughs> All right, so we all noticed that Scott Dixon was the fastest today. Hands up, everyone who was surprised. Mm Mm-hmm, thought so. But who was the fastest rookie? Interesting question. Brand new course. What do you guys think? Did you notice, Paul? Uh, I actually have not uh, had a chance to dig into the 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 spreadsheets. Can you tell where my day's been? (laughs) (laughs) Into the the timesheets. Take a guess. Well... Hawksworth, I, I seem like I'm beating that horse a little too much. So uh, who else is left? I'll go with the lotion. Oh, wait. Who are you going with? A lotion. You're taking a lotion. Okay. John? Uh, I missed on Hawksworth uh, to start the year, so uh, I'm going to have to go with him. He's, he's proved me wrong so far uh, at every turn, so it wouldn't surprise me to see him uh, quickest rookie. John is right. It was Jack Hawksworth again. Wow. Pretty impressive for the guy who finished third in the Indy Lights Championship last year. Yeah, and he's only here because he's got money. So people keep saying. Yeah, he is, uh, he's uh, shushed those doubters uh, pretty quickly. Oof. I mean, it, it's just impressive. He's done a, he's done a job. Uh, I didn't expect this. 
I didn't expect him to be slow by any means, but uh, I didn't expect him to have the pace right off the bat that he's had so far. It's been pretty eye-opening. Didn't we all pretty much unanimously agree that Carlos Munoz was going to have the Rookie of the Year wrapped up by this point already? Yeah, yeah, we sure did. Well, mind you, we still haven't been on an oval yet, don't forget. But I was going to say, and, and, and we weren't really going out on a very thin limb in, in thinking that. Uh, I mean, I think if you asked a, a hundred people that knew anything about IndyCar, probably 99 were going to say Carlos Munoz to start the year. I mean, just from what we'd seen at, at some of the other tracks. Well, and to be fair, Munoz is leading the Rookie of the Year standings right now. Mostly because, well, not mostly because, that puts it in the wrong light. But, I mean, saying that, you have to take into account that Hawksworth had really unfortunate luck in the first two races and really had no opportunity to score points there. So, very interesting to follow that as the season goes along. John? Yeah, no, I was going to say, I mean, there's definitely no doubt who's been the the quicker car so far this year, though. Uh, you know, Jack, I know, uh, got caught up at St. Pete, and I can't remember what uh, befell him at Long Beach, but he definitely hasn't had the luck to go with it uh, so far this year, but he's been fast. You get the feeling almost that um, Jack Hawksworth and Brian Herter Autosport, as long as the, the checks keep clearing, could be sort of the next Joseph Newgarden and Sarah Fisher-Hartman racing, that sort of young guy with the small team just waiting for their opportunity to break through. And um, we're still waiting for Joseph to do that, but you you get the feeling more and more that they're right on the cusp of getting something to happen. And I, I just feel as though Hawksworth and Brian Herta Autosport could be like maybe two years behind on the exact same cycle. It's got the same feeling to it, I think. So the um, testing at the Grand Prix of Indianapolis or for the Grand Prix of Indianapolis um, com- concluded today whole lot of quotes and, a, and summary and a full day summary timesheet available at morefrontwing.com if you want to have a look. This is all in preparation, of course, for the Grand Prix of Indianapolis, which runs um, sort of an unusual race weekend Thursday to Saturday, which I think works out to be the 7th to 9th, no, 8th to 8th 10th, to 10th. Uh-huh. of May. And uh, that is, of course, allowing Sunday, May 11th to be the opening day for the oval running at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, which is, um, I expect, the thing that most people are truly anticipating. I'm looking forward to the road course. People seem really excited about it when they were on it today, and I got the feeling that it was a genuine excitement, not a PR excitement. I got the feeling that the drivers really were honestly having a lot of fun out there. And a couple of, I saw Mike Hall on Twitter say that it's an, it's a great track and they were having a great time. Um, seems like there's a lot of opportunity for passing and, um, it should be a lot of fun. Our friend Steve Wittich also made the point that it's now, um, the fastest road course that IndyCar runs on based on average lap times. So, um, of course our, our, other friend John Orovitz pointed out that both Cleveland and Road America were faster back in the day, but let's not dwell on that too much, I suppose. Hey, if you're going to be in town, yes, well, <laughs> if you're going to be in town for the Grand Prix of Indianapolis, by the way, the um, the Speedway Festival on Maine is happening on a Friday night, which is May 9th. Yes, from 6 to 10. And that's happening just in the area right around Sarah Fisher Hartman, their shop, and the Delara factory in that spot that I gather is, um, from my memory, pretty well right across the street from the 16th and Georgetown entrance to the Speedway, if I'm remembering correctly. Is that uh, right, Paul? It's, it's south of there, always. It's down like about a, uh, 11th, 12th Street, somewhere in that ballpark. Certainly walkable, though, right? From yeah, there? yeah, yeah. It's a few mm-hmm. blocks. So. Yeah. So Across that's Charlie happening. Browns. Right. Oh, hey, so you can get some pancakes while you're down there. Fantastic. 
So that's happening down there on the Friday night from 6 till 10. Um, admission is free, but there's going to be a whole bunch of stuff going on to raise money for the Indy Family Foundation, which is a foundation that the carpenters are involved with that helps families involved in motorsport in times of need. And um, apparently Robin Miller is going to be in the dunk tank this year. <laughs> so <laughs> I imagine that would be the best fundraiser of all time. That's my theory. Yeah, I saw that it was only for 30 minutes, so I think they should have a bidding process. For- they totally should. We got to tell them that. I know a couple of the people that are organizing that. We have got to plant that idea because they could raise some serious money with that. They'd have drivers showing up bidding thousands. <laughs> I was just going to say, how much money do you think Tony George would donate to that? <laughs> Fair enough. And, of course, um, all of this is in preparation for the month of May. We are getting very close to 33 cars for the month of May. Hey, um, any any ideas <clears throat> of who this um, pink presser on Thursday at IMS might involve? Scratching of heads? Anyone? Hmm. I think we all have a pretty good idea of who that one's for, so... That um, that brings us up to 32. That announcement, if I'm if I'm counting correctly, and so the big debate is who's going to bring us to 33. But it always happens. So I'm not. I don't spend a lot of time being concerned about it. Paul, do you anymore? I think you used to, but sort of got over it. Oh no, no, no. We'll, we'll be at 33. <laughs> yeah, it always seems to happen, right? Um, who will be the 33rd? Does anybody want to guess? There was talk that. Did, was there talk once upon a time that Stefan Wilson maybe had some money going around? Um, you know, Connor Daly, Connor Daly announced that he will not be participating uh, this month That's at Indianapolis, so we can cross him off the list. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, who else does that leave? Jay Howard. Jay Howard. Maybe there's been speculation about. Yeah. Uh, I suppose John Andretti, I guess, hasn't said he isn't going to do it. He looked really fit the last time I saw him. I think he was at St. Pete. Yeah, I think I saw him at Long Beach, and I agree, he did look he did look nice and fit. Certainly looked car ready, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean that, that there's any money to put him in there. But I mean, who would say no to that? John, any theories? Well, just uh, I'm kind of hoping it'll be the Stephen Wilson deal. I know uh, he was supposed to have some rides last year and didn't pan out, and and I've heard his name uh, thrown around in a lot of the speculation for, for a ride this year. So, uh, I'd, I'd hope that would happen for him, but, uh, man, honestly, it seems like this time of the year, uh, those last few rides that come in, it's, it's just so crazy out of left field. I, I, I can't even hardly hazard a guess. Is Ray Hall, <laughs> I don't see Michelle Jordan coming back for Ray Hall again. Do you? No. No. Where, where are you getting that from? Well, I'm just, after he's... last year, after yeah, the, no. after the, pains that they went through last year. I don't see that one happening again this year. Yeah, he had such a positive experience. <laughs> no, I, I really don't think that that's very likely. Anyway, per- perhaps the more pertinent point, and this was, I'm not going to claim this one, this was brought up by uh, Lee Diffie on the Barber bro- broadcast, that I think Honda's got 18 cars now, and so that puts Chevy at 14, and Honda's pretty well said, we're done. But if it really came down to it, would they really be done? If if Chevrolet absolutely could not, you know, work out a deal with somebody to put more one more car in there, would they really be done? I don't know. I don't know if I buy it. But anyway. Well, thinking of it from that perspective, who if 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 Chevrolet's 
quote-unquote only at 14, who has room from the Chevrolet side to expand? I don't see Penske expanding to four cars. I think KB is probably the most likely, wouldn't you think? Probably. Here's that situation where all of a sudden, up until now, nobody's really noticed that Panther's gone. But now we're going, hey, there's that car. There's that 33. And 34, because he had a tendency to bring an extra one in. Well, I guess, so. I guess, I guess KV's already at three, because they've already added Bell. So they've right. already got Bourdain, Saavedra, and Bell. Penske's at three. Uh, Carpenter is at two. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, who are the other three Chevrolets that I'm missing? Oh, Ganassi is at five. That gets us to 14, right? Is that what we're at mm-hmm. for Chevrolet? Mm-hmm. Oh. So there you go. So the only one of those that you could consider, pro- Ganassi's not going to six. I don't see Penske going to four. Seems KV, I don't, I don't think KV has the capability to go to four. The only one left there really is Ed Carpenter. And Unless would some- you really count him as being somebody who would have the capability of going to three? Probably Where not. Where are these people going to come from? No, no I don't. No. If anybody's going to have somebody to draw on for another car, you'd think it would be Penske because he can. Where's he going to pull from? Well, no, that's true because his cup guys are busy. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, I don't know. I guess how many Panther guys are still kicking around? I'm guessing if John Barnes wants to get the band back together, I, I bet. No, he I'm not saying for John funds. Barnes to do it. I'm saying I could see. You know, if if Ed can get a skeleton crew together with some of those guys and then just piece together the rest, but does he have time to do that at this point? I don't know. It is funny how it's worked out, though, that most of the smaller teams are Honda teams. Mm -hmm. Because that certainly was never the intention from the beginning. And it's funny how it took the month of May to really put that into light. Mm Mm-hmm. Anyway, we'll have lots of time to talk through the month of May in the next few weeks, and um, we're certainly, just as you are, anxious to do that, but we don't want to take up too much more time this evening. Before we wrap up, John, we're going to talk about this plenty over the next few weeks, but I want to give you a chance to introduce people to um, the event that you've got going on at the IMS Museum on Carb Night. Do you want to talk about that? Sure, yeah. Uh, On Friday, uh, I believe it's the 24th. I don't have the card in front of me. I do. It is 23rd. Friday the 23rd at 6 p.m. 23rd. See, and that's what I get for talking off cars. <laughs> <laughs> Friday the uh, 23rd, Racemaker Press is going to have a uh, a uh, kind of a launch party uh, of sorts, both for my book, Hard Luck Lloyd, uh, also a book that uh, Racemaker's owner, Joe Freeman, and uh, Gordon Kirby wrote uh, called Second to One. Uh, going to be a really interesting book as well. It's going to highlight... Uh, drivers at uh, Indianapolis who have finished second as a high finish, uh, Michael Andretti for one, uh, who had that as a highest finish but never won the race. Uh, They're having a cocktail party there that night at the uh, IMS Museum. Uh, It'll be after the uh, vintage races will have run, which uh, Joe is actually going to be running a Curtis Craft car in the the vintage races that he owns. Uh, So I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, Actually going to be a spending... Uh, I'm staying in Dave Laycock's uh, guest house uh, during my trip uh, there. Uh, he was uh, uh, really impressed with the book and uh, extended that invitation. We're taking him up on that. So uh, uh, still working on Dave to try to uh, drag him up there for the event as well. Uh, got some other invites out, so uh, hoping to see uh, meet up with some of the folks that uh, have interviewed for the book. And then 
I'll put it out on Twitter when it becomes set in stone. I know uh, there's some kind of a memorabilia show or something like that on Saturday. I've uh, yep. never been to it before, but uh, Racemaker is going to have a, a booth there, and at some point in time there, I know I'll be doing a, a book signing there. Uh, I, I do not know the timing on that yet, so I, I will push that info out as well. But uh, uh, really looking forward to uh, – I know Indianapolis is going to be one of the areas uh, that uh, Hard Luck Lloyd will do best in. So I'm really looking forward to uh, uh, getting people's opinions on the book, getting to meet some folks that have got it and sign some books and, and uh, just kind of put some faces with names with folks. Well, I will absolutely make an effort to make sure that that is all communicated through the site at morefrontwing.com as well. And uh, very, very happy to support John as he works on getting the word out about his book, Hard Luck Lloyd. Um, I am still working my way through it, Paul. I hear that, that you've worked your way through it, though, and uh, you were quite impressed. I am done and finished. It was one of those ones that, um, it, just because of other things, I, it, it took me a little while to get going in it, but... Uh, I, I've read pretty much read most of the whole thing on the flight out to and back from Long Beach. So once it, once I was able to finally pick it up and devote some time, it was a it was a fantastic read, really really great read. Excellent, and I'm looking forward to getting into my copy as well. And Paul and I'll have our thoughts compiled on on the book for that um, leading into all of these events that are happening in, in Indianapolis. So please do stay tuned on that. With that, guys, I think we're done. I think we've covered everything there is to cover for this week. Uh, definitely great to have you back, John. Thanks so much. I um, will apologize to everyone at home for the audio issues that we were having with John tonight, but certainly we didn't want to send him away <laughs> in spite of them. So uh, glad we were able to work our way through them and get your thoughts and your contributions. John, always great to have you. And Paul, eh. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah, you always come back no matter what I do. So. Hey, happy six-month anniversary tomorrow, by the way. Let me throw that out there forever on your... Hey, uh, yeah, thanks. Yeah, see? Congratulations. <laughs> I can't believe it's been six months already. I, I, I'm not saying... <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure now because my husband is actually in BC for a car launch event. Um, I haven't talked much about it, but my husband is also an automotive journalist. He does more on the, um, the production side. He's out in BC this week for a car launch, and I think he and I both slipped mind completely on the fact that um, that as of today when this podcast is released is our six month anniversary so I'm going to send him messages tomorrow all sweet like yay it's our six month anniversary I love you so much honey and then he's going to listen to this and then on Friday when he's driving back realize yeah that it was all Paul reminding me that made me remember but it'll be hilarious he'll think it's funny no anyway yes thank you six months and uh, lovely six months at that so Anyway, um, that's enough chatter for all <laughs> <laughs> <Solid> day. <laughs> thanks so much to both of you, and thanks for, to everyone at home for listening. We will be back next week to preview even more. I hope the Grand Prix of Indianapolis uh, might be tricky because I'll be driving down on Wednesday and live blogging the whole thing. I'll be in your faces on Thursday morning next week um, through the whole weekend, but certainly we will do our best to find a way to squeeze one in next week as a preview and uh, bring you more of the best from the Verizon IndyCar series and the Mazda Road to Indy. And in the meantime, please don't forget, if you need IndyCar news and views, get a grip with more front wing.